Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. This time I'd like to bring up our brother Billy Skelton and give this message to the Lord. Wait, you're going to knock these things off? All right. Thank you, Brother Andy. Nice. Well, the good morning. Good morning. The scripture reading this morning was in Philippians 3, so you can turn there. That's where our main part of the text will be. Uh, We're going to start with a story, an illustration. And keep in mind that when we gather, you know that the time that we come together as a group, we try to follow the pattern that is set for us there in the New Testament where there are certain things that the church gathers for. One is for breaking of bread, one is for prayer, one is for fellowship, and one is for the apostles' doctrine, or teaching, edifying, building the body up. So hopefully this morning, the thoughts shared will be something that build up the body or edify us as believers. I won't go back and read this section again, but we will key in on verse 14. You'll notice the illustration up there is of a pig and a chicken. At least that's what I hope it is. Um, so there's a story of a pig and a chicken. You may have heard it. They're walking down the road and the chicken says, hey, pig, I was thinking that we should open a restaurant. Well, the pig thought for a minute. He said, well, maybe. What, what, what would we call the restaurant? And the chicken said without hesitating, we would call it ham and eggs. So the pig said, well, no, thank you. He said, for you, it would just be involvement. But for me, it would mean a total commitment. And so you can think that one through, how, they're, uh, how the two of them would get along in that. And so our thought today, let's see, why are we not unlocking it, right, Andy? Is that we want to talk about commitment. And we chose the text in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, and the verse that we'll spend most of the time thinking about is verse 14. I'll read that one again to you. As we think about what does commitment mean when it comes to being a follower of the Lord Jesus. So listen to what Paul writes here in Philippians 3 and verse 14. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So from that verse, there are four things we can look at. Good good alliteration, if you like them, they would be action, where he says, I press ambition, I'm going towards my mark, an award, the prize of the high calling, and my approval, which is in Christ Jesus. So we look first at the action where we see it in verse 14. I press. Paul writes that I would press. And some examples that we would see in Scripture first are found in John chapter 21. In John 21, we'll find ourselves down by the lake's edge. Christ has been crucified. Christ has risen from the dead. Christ has already appeared to the disciples more than once. And Christ appears to them and, um, <clears throat> at the beginning where they're out fishing. Some of you would remember the story. The disciples went fishing. And while they were fishing, Christ from the shore said, Children, have you f- have any food? And he said, No, we haven't caught anything. And Christ says, Well, cast out on the right side. And they find out that, boy, there's a lot of fish there, then it kind of dawns on them on who it is. 
they recognize that it's the Lord. And the Lord has a conversation with them when they come on shore and speaks to them um, as a group. There's three times, you recall, he asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered. And then he says, starting in uh, verse um, 18, actually he says, most assuredly, when you were younger, you girded yourselves and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, this Jesus spoke, signifying by what death he, Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now look what Peter does. First it says Peter, well, first of all, Peter does a little sidestep. It says he turned around, he saw John. So he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he said, well, you know, well Lord, what about this guy? What's going on with him? The Lord says, don't worry about that. You follow me. Then all you've got to do from there is read the rest of the New Testament to see what Peter did. We see him in Acts where he stands up on the day of Pentecost and explains exactly what's going on. He was a man of action. He pressed towards what God had for him as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He learned that he would be a martyr and still he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in the book of Acts chapter 9, there's another New Testament character. His name is Paul. Well, his name is Saul at the beginning of the chapter. And you'll recall the uh, conversion of Saul of Tarsus. We won't read through the uh, whole chapter, but you remember he was on his way to... Where is he on his way to? Do you remember? Damascus. Damascus. He's got letters from the high priest, and he's on his way to arrest and bring bound those who had, were following Jesus. Christ confronts him on the road. He's converted. He comes to Christ. Uh, he's led by the hand to Damascus because he's blind at this point. When he gets there, he waits and he waits. Can you know, do you ever think about what Peter might have, or Paul might have been thinking of or Saul might have been thinking of during those three days? I wondered about that. Three days that he, the Bible says that he was there and he says, without sight, neither ate nor drank. Anyways, the Lord called a man named Ananias and told Ananias he wanted him to go and speak to Paul on, on behalf of, of, of him. And so he did go, and it says there in um, verse number 18, immediately there fell from his eyes, from Saul's or Paul's eyes, something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And first thing he did is that he arose and was baptized. Then he ate, he was strengthened, spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And then Luke uses a word that we see mostly in the book of the Gospel of Mark. In verse 20, he says, immediately, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is, the Son of God. Paul witnessed uh, of his experience with Jesus. And eventually God used Paul to take the word of, uh, of the Lord out in the mission field and serve him as he pressed on. We do see also one example we look at, there's many, but we look at one in the Old Testament. It's back in Genesis chapter 22. Earlier in the book of Genesis, God speaks to Abraham and he tells Abraham that he's going to raise up from him a nation, well, many nations, but he says in the 
in you the nations of the earth will be blessed and your descendants. And Abraham waited and waited because he didn't have a son. He had no heir. And you would be familiar with the story how Ishmael came about. But eventually God gave him a son by Sarah in his old age. His name was Isaac. And Isaac was the son of the promise. And in chapter 22, starting in verse 1, we read this. Um, It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Notice what happened. Abraham was told something by God and it said he rose early in the morning and got on his way. And I can't imagine the... Again, what would have gone on in the mind of Abraham, who God had dealt with up to this point to show himself faithful. But he didn't hesitate. He, was, he took action. He got up early, split the wood, did what God said, and on he went. His commitment to God following God was strong. So I think to yourself now, what action do we take? There are things we read in the New Testament. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And uh, so are we making good? Are we doing good works for the Lord Jesus Christ? Does our commitment carry us to do that? Perhaps we're not making good. Perhaps we're making trouble. Proverbs chapter 6. There's a list of things that God gives that they're abomination. Six things, a seven, which are an abomination. uh, Things that God hates, and it says that uh, he lists a number of them. Are these things that we're our action? Is my action a lying tongue? Is my action hands that shed bloodshed? Am I being a false witness? Am I sowing discord among the brethren? That's an easy one. Me, 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 me. Did you see that? Ed, Ed had a tie on Sunday. Always has a tie, you know. And and we we could be easy to say things that are going to sow up discord. It's nothing that would be a benefit. Or do we make excuses? Think back to Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter 3, God's going to speak to Moses. Abraham, who had long since passed from the scene, his family, his descendants, had gone down to the land of Egypt. And recall, when they were in Egypt, they multiplied, and there arose, it said, a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, who didn't know all that the sons of Israel had done to save Egypt. Yea, many of the nations from the famine. And he put him into slavery. And they're cried out to God finally for help. And God says, okay, I'm going to send Moses. And he calls Moses. He meets Moses, if you recall, out in the wilderness. He appears to him in a burning bush. And he speaks to Moses. And he lays out for Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus the plan says, come now, I'm going to, in verse 10, come now, therefore, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you will, you will bring my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. God's got this whole plan. All he's got to get is Moses to go do it. And Moses says, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring out the children of Egypt? Could you pick somebody else? 
Moses made an excuse. Do we make excuses? God says, I need you to do this. You hear of an opportunity. Do we, do we take advantage of it or do we make excuses? So the first word we had was press or action. The next is our ambition, and that's going towards the mark. And let's see the, the verses there. <clears throat> I must have a goal. I must have something that I'm heading towards. I can't just flounder about. Um, my goal could be simply that this coming year I'm going to have more time I spend in prayer. Speaking about that with some of the brothers just recently. Maybe my goal or my mark, what I should be aiming for, is that more time spent praying, more time alone with the Lord. Maybe your goal should be that you're going to spend more time reading God's Word, coming to know God better. Maybe your goal is I'm going to start um, giving tracts out. Maybe I won't go door to door, but you know I often have chance when I'm out at a restaurant or out of the library. I still joke about the one. Tyler found one. Um, a track, sadly, in the urinal at a restaurant, and I told him when he came, when he told me about it, where it came from, because across the the restaurant sat Uncle Buck, and this is an Uncle Buck thing. He leaves it not in the, not in the urinal. He leaves it for someone to read, but somebody didn't particularly like it, and they toss it, right? But it's a thing that you can do. You could spread God's word some some ways, even if you don't know a soul in that restaurant. You could leave a tract for somebody. Look, have a goal, have a mark. Don't just um, flounder about. There's a, an illustration of this in Acts chapter 20, and it was uh, this is that section of the, the book where Luke's recording the journeys where they're going. And he names a number of cities that they go to, and, and we read down, um, down from 13 to 16, he's going from Troas to Miletus, and he said he had purposed in his heart, he's trying to make, his goal was, I want to get to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. And, and to do that, it said in verse 16, Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. And so sometimes it may mean that to make your goal, you've got to forego something else. Maybe to make my goal of spending more time reading God's word, I have to forego sleep, get up a little earlier, so good things, right? He went by a visit to Ephesus, which would have been beneficial to the, to the believers there because he had a goal in mind. Sometimes you may have to forego something. That's, it, it's not a bad thing, but something that's going to keep you from the goal that you have set in your ambition as you head towards the mark. When we set our goal, our eyes should be on the mark. Try not to look back. Try not to get distracted. Um, we if it's a verse, I believe, when you put your, no man that puts his hand to the plow looks back. Um, we think of the example of the Lord Jesus. He's in heading towards the cross. This is in the book of Luke, chapter 9. In Luke, chapter 9, we read that Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And in Luke, chapter 9, verse 51 to 53, we read these words. Now it came about when the time had come for him to be received up. The Lord knew the time at the end of his ministry was there on earth. That he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
His eyes were on the goal. He knew that when he went back, there was going to be problems. They'd already confronted him. They already, the, 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 the time, you know, as visits were, uh, if you read it, there's interesting because one visit they're hailing him and they're holding it. But now the, the leaders have already set their goal of killing this man if they get their hands on him. And he knew it. He's omniscient. He knew it. But he knew the time was come. So he set his face towards Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare him. But they did not receive him because his face was where? Set for the journey to Jerusalem. He kept his, his eyes on the goal on his way to the cross. We talked about Paul earlier, and it's interesting back in that section of uh, Acts chapter 9, that Saul was committed. He had his eyes on the goal even before conversion. Think about this. Saul would have been raised, taught under the Mosaic law. He would have only known, he wouldn't have known of of Jesus other than maybe what he had heard. But what he had been taught showed him that this person, that this the people that were following this way, they were going against the Mosaic law. They were, they were, they were actually going away from what the uh, priests were telling them, the leaders. And so he went, and it says, breathing, this is in Acts 9, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He had a goal in mind. He was going to go down to Damascus or up to Damascus and get those folks that were going in this direction and bring them back because he was serving God. He had a goal in mind. He had his eyes set straight ahead. By God's grace, the Lord Jesus intervened, stopped them on that road, told him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Saul asked the question, who are you, Lord? Who are you? He says, it is I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I can imagine the thoughts that went rushing through the head of the mind of Saul of Tarsus, as he was on his way to please the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God's son stopped him and said, hold on, hold on, you're going the wrong way. And so instead of his sights being on doing this, he shifted and he went and he began to proclaim Jesus. He preached Jesus. He spent the first part of that chapter persecuting the followers of the way, and he spent the rest of the book preaching Jesus to those. He had his eyes on the mark. Joseph, we read of back in Genesis chapter 50. The account of the children of Israel when they were in Egypt, God used Joseph to provide for them so that they wouldn't starve. The famine was such that they would not have survived. And at the end of the book of Genesis, as it's recorded, There comes a time in the lives of the brothers that uh, Jacob dies. Israel dies and he's no longer there. And the brothers begin to think to themselves, what if Joseph remembers? What if he looks back at what was done to him? We were not kind to him at all. We're in big trouble, brothers. We're in big trouble. And it says there in um, chapter uh, chapter 15, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and make actually, or may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, 
which is, by the way, a good, good thing to say because there's no way to verify the story, right? He's already dead. Thus, you shall say to Joseph, I beg, beg you to forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sins, for they did evil to you. Now the brothers said, please forgive the trespasses of your servants, the servants of God, of your, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph had his eyes set on the mark. He didn't look back. He didn't remember. He could have held a grudge. All along, he could have been waiting for a chance to get back at his brothers, but he didn't. You perhaps have heard the saying that um, when you have a goal, if you don't reach it, if at first you don't succeed, you try. You try again. Efforts involved. You, you can keep at it. Uh, we may have to change our methods if we're not reaching our goal. Maybe if my goal was reading uh, more and I'm not getting up earlier, maybe I read at night. But whatever it might be, I might have to change my, product, my pathway. An experiment was done with a mouse where they had a mace set up, a mouse and a piece of cheese. And what the, those running the test would do is they would put the cheese at a spot in the maze and let the mouse go at the beginning. The mouse would use its nose and snip and go the way he thought there would be and he get roadblock, he have to come back. Eventually, the mouse found the cheese. And every time they ran the experiment, the mouse would, uh, less and less uh, uh, going the wrong way, he eventually memorized the path. He knew the most productive way to get the cheese. So what did they do? Well, they moved it to a different spot in the maze. And what did the mouse do? When they let him go, he went straight to the old spot because that's what was working for him before. It wasn't working now. He had to backtrack and he had to find it. It eventually memorized that path. And I say that to the, just say there might be something that's worked flawlessly in the past, but it's not working now. That's okay. If you don't have an unproductive pathway, change it. Find a way. Just keep the goal the same. Keep the goal the same. Don't change the message, but we might need to change the way we go about it. The, sec, or the third is... What did I say? Award. That doesn't show up too good, but there's a wreath behind there. The prize of the high calling. There's an award involved that Paul talks about. First, this phrase, high calling. If you look at Romans chapter 11, a verse that says, The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. For the gift of God, for the gifts of God and the calling are irrevocable or without repentance. In other words, God, I'll have to keep that in mind. Don't use that color anymore on, on, on my uh, ink, right? No, that's fine. <laughs> no, that's worse. You'd kids, it's off in the back. <laughs> Sunday school was in darkness, Buck. <laughs> you didn't hear all the voices go, hey, uh, we got no windows back there. Yeah. For the gifts of calling of God are irrevocable. All right. God's not sorry that he called you for what he called you to do. God didn't say, oh, I, I should have picked somebody different for that. I made a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. He picked you because you were the best person to do that job. If you weren't, you would have picked somebody else. 
So the high calling of God, the, 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 the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable or it's without repentance. And we think of the prize that awaits. Paul, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, how he let, lived his life or how he ran his race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, down towards the end of the chapter in verse 24, Paul writes these words, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul lived his life in such a way that he would receive the prize. We think that there's, Paul talks later about what uh, prize or award awaits the believer. The believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are, we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, will one day stand before the Lord to be, to be judged. Now we praise God, we're not standing before the Lord to be judged for our sin. The Bible speaks of different judgments. One of them is what's called the great white throne judgment. And those that stand before God for that, there's only one verdict. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. And this is what's going to happen to those who've rejected the offer of salvation. But in 2 Corinthians, he talks about something that's referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. And it's in verse, verse uh, 5 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 9, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what has been done, whether good or bad. My commitment or my lack of commitment could result in loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. I, we all, it says, must stand there. And it says we're each going to be judged. I'm going to make my stand alone before the Lord. I can't stand there and say, well, I outdid Bob over here or Sam over here. I'm better than him. Does that count for something? No, I'm not going to be able to do that. I stand and give an account for my, my own, my own uh, works, what's done in the body. Uh, there's the verses we talked about in John chapter 21 that tell us there's an individuality involved in serving. When, when the Lord said to Peter, when Peter got a little distracted and said, what's going to happen to John? You just told me that I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be martyred. What about him? Is he going to be martyred? Lord says, what is that to you? He may, what if, he, what if, what if I leave him alive till I come back? What is that to you? You follow me. He wanted Peter to get his eyes off what was around him. He wanted Peter to look at the Lord Jesus and just follow him. That's where our eyes should be. That's where our aim shall be. That's where our reward will come from when I stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account for what I've done. So let's strive to be able to look back at our life and say as Paul did when he came to the end of his in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me uh, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who are loved, who loved his appearing. Strive as Paul did, so I can look back and say that I've done it. I've done that for the Lord. You know, I guess the older I get, I realize that it's just a journey that we're on. When uh, you're younger and life seems so uh, long before you, you maybe don't think about this, but there's a limited amount of time to do what God would have you to do. Now, that doesn't mean everybody should stop what they're doing and quickly head to Zambia. But you you discern what God's calling is on your life and you give yourself to it. You make you 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 act on it. You you head towards that mark, and you know that if you follow the Lord, you could you will be able to say as as uh, Paul did, "I finished the the race and I've kept the faith." The last A is the word approval. Did I run out of battery. No. Again. Yep, hold your tongue just so. <laughs> ah, here we go. That worked. I press toward the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That's where <clears throat> I find my approval. Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen, the Awana verse. I think that's the Awana verse. Study, is that right, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. I'm reading New King James when I'm quoting King James. That's what you're raised on, right? And so my A-U-G, you know, I have a few degrees. I got an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, and a master's degree. I got pieces of paper that tell me I've got those degrees. But that's not the, the degrees that are worth striving. Well, I shouldn't say it that way. There's a degree more worth striving for, and that's your A-U-G, my approved unto God. That's the one I want to I uh, strive for, a degree that's worth uh, striving for. And how do I get that? Study to show myself approved unto God. Get to know God through his word, not just about God, but to know God and uh and live according to that which we see in his word. And our service, as we think about serving the Lord, needs to be with what God would direct us to do. I think there are many well-meaning people that get caught up in things, good things, but not necessarily what God had wanted them to do. Sadly, there are some who will take what they've been taught, um, taught in their youth, and they take it to their grave. My brother, uh, I flipped my daughter out when I said uh, my brother married a Catholic and she wanted to know who that was. I said, well, I'm just saying Joanne's background, scratch this from the record, Andy, um, it was, was that she's from a, a Catholic family. And sadly, what happens is there's something that they're taught early on that they hold on to regardless of anything else that's said. And many of them won't turn from that teaching. They, even if it's showed to them in the scripture, what, what Christ did and, 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 and the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. 
and they get carried up doing works, things that will hopefully earn their way of approval in, in God's eyes. If I just do enough things, I'm going to please God and I'm going to earn his favor and I'm going to get to heaven one day because that's the, what's been drilled in. He warns in Matthew chapter 7, and it's in verse uh, 21. This is at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's done a lot of teaching. Um, he talks uh, about false prophets and, and how you will know them by their fruit. And then he gets to verse 21, and Jesus says, Now not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? In their mind, they're doing what God wants them to do. This is what they were taught. If I just do all the do, 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 things, 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 God's going to accept me. And in verse 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. So we make sure that our approval is found in Christ Jesus. If God looks at your commitment today, would he approve of it? Would he say what you're doing for him is pleasing in his sight? Is your commitment strong? Does God, or you perhaps have heard this quote, God doesn't ask about our ability or our inability, but about our availability. Are you doing it or are you just saying it? Are we obeying the master? What will he say of us when our time on earth is ended? I'll close with this. I think someone did read this some time ago, but I'll read it again. It's a famous poem inscribed on the cathedral in Lubbock, Germany, because many of the lines would pertain to your commitment, our commitment to the Lord. The words say this, and you can tell it was written many years ago because it's in King James. Ye call me master and obey me not. Ye call me light and see me not. Ye call me way and walk me not. Ye call me life and desire me not. Ye call me wise and follow me not. Ye call me fair and love me not. Ye call me rich and ask me not. Ye call me eternal and seek me not. Ye call me gracious and trust me not. Ye call me noble and serve me not. Ye call me mighty and honor me not. Ye call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the uh, examples that we have in scripture. We thank you, first of all, Father, that we're saved by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do nothing to merit this. Uh, by grace, we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We thank you, Father, that we can see right after that what we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And there are things, Father, that we can do in this time that we are here on our journey from uh, our giving the life that you've given us to the eternity that will follow, that, Father, you could be glorified in. Help us to seek these things, to set our affection on things above, not to be satisfied, uh, Father, with just going downstream and 
and, uh, and life of ease heading to heaven. But Father, help us to look deep down within to where our commitment would be to following and serving you and honoring you in all that we do. Help us to find the right balance here, Father, as we would uh, uh, seek to, to take, the Father, the position that we're in now and perhaps make adjustments that are needed uh, to bring honor and glory to you. We ask your blessing on the departure for, those, for the meeting that will follow, for those that are able to stay. We just pray that time of planning would be a, a benefit as we look to see perhaps a way to see the word of God spread to those in the Claremont area, the young people through Vacation Bible School. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.